Welcome to Revenue Champions, I'm Alice. And I'm John. We interview leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs in the B2B space. Giving you the inside tips, tricks, and hacks for you to grow and scale your B2B business today. Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of Revenue Champions. We are going to be challenging the traditional marketing thinking, and we're kicking off today with our first speaker, Chris Walker, who is CEO of Refine Labs. So hi, Chris, and thanks for joining us today. Hey, Alice, really happy to be here. I think it's episode one, which is pretty cool. Um, honored to kick this series off. Yes, amazing, glad to have you. So Refine Labs, for everyone who's listening, just to give you some context and into why I was interested to talk to Chris and also more generally into what Refine Labs are doing. Refine Labs are an agency at the forefront of enabling businesses with their growth and marketing innovation. They're built to help companies with their adoption of progressive marketing techniques. They're perfect candidates for the series, which where we're looking to focus on marketers who are actually just ripping up the traditional playbook. Those are kind of breaking the mold and doing things that are bringing undeniably impressive and tangible results to their businesses. So one thing that I found when I was sort of, I mean, Chris is now all over my LinkedIn feed. I mean, everything, all the content you're putting out is amazing. And I think it's hugely valuable to marketers in general. But one thing I saw Chris, which really caught my eye and why I wanted to interview you was that the amazing growth that you've had at Refine Labs. So growing from over 1 million ARR in 10 months with no funding, no cold calls, no outbound emails and no advertising. So I guess just as a starting point, yeah, it'd be great to just understand day one, what did you do? How did that happen? Yeah, so I want to I want to work backwards for people because the first thing is that any company could do this if they were committed and focused to it and they put the right people in place. So that's one thing for everyone. The second one is that I've been doing this for brands for five years, and so like the exact same thing happened when I worked for the thirty million dollar company that didn't have a strong demand engine. They did more than a million dollars in revenue in the first twelve months as well. And so like it's not like I just popped up out of here and started producing content on LinkedIn. I've just I've been doing it a lot just underneath company brands and now I just choose to do it for a lot of different brands at once. Okay yeah makes sense and with that in mind I put together some questions I kind of wanted to dig into the, the thinking and execution on the marketing activities that you do now and that and that really work. So obviously the title of this is around the ebook and we are going to go a little bit head-to-head on this topic but I think anyone who follows Chris's content on LinkedIn if you don't should I know it's one of your most probably one of your most popular topics to talk about and so I really wanted to yeah get into the nitty-gritty with that a bit but one thing kicking off I wanted to talk about this which is something quite close to my heart B2C for B2B I always talk to my team and say actually at the end of the day everyone is a person so yes you are a business marketing to another business but the person who's making that purchase decision at that business is at the end of the day another person so what I mean first of all do you agree with that sentiment and then secondly what would be the top three things you'd tell a b2b marketer to take away from how b2c operates to transition into their marketing in b2b yeah i mean when we look at like demand gener marketing it's essentially communication and so you are always communicating with a person whether you're trying to sell a pair of socks or trying to sell a five hundred thousand dollar a year software tool right and so yeah the the interesting thing about my experience is that for the first I don't know, when I was 22, 23, 24, I built two e-commerce companies out of my bedroom, selling things that costed somewhere between 40 and $100. And I was able to experiment with Facebook ads when it was early and Instagram ads when it was early and Amazon ads when it was early. And Amazon ads is just like Google ads search. And knowing how to run those profitably when you only have $13 of margin for your advertising expense before you start losing money was a very interesting experience. I think a lot of B2B marketers don't have that. And so I, I took all of that experience and figured out how to make it work in B2B 
and most B2B marketers don't have the respect and understanding for that those ads need to be profitable. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. So just on that, when you start out working with a client or say when you're starting out for Refine Labs and you're creating, I don't know, a campaign, ad campaign, uh, let's say Google Ads, and you're creating your ad group and you want to go test something to put it live, do you, do you believe and how do you run like that testing methodology? Do you have like a, a process in place, um, like a way in which you set up those tests um, and run them so that you can, like you said, use a small budget, learn, iterate, optimize and grow from there? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think that most people overcomplicate Google mm -hmm. AdWords. It is very simple. Figure out what the high buying intent keywords that people are searching for that mean that they want what you're selling and then drive them to that product page and then allow, and educate them and allow them to understand whether it's the right thing for them. I think companies spend so much time going broad and trying to like increase the conversion rate on their ebook download, which we'll talk about later, by 0.5%. And the actual impact on the business is absolutely nothing, but they spend three hours a day trying to optimize the landing page. And so it just doesn't make sense. It's like the strategy is what's most important. We do test landing pages. We do test keyword groups, especially as we start expanding across different modifiers. But we talked about this a lot a lot last night on the on the Demand Gen Live session that I do with Catano Denardi, which is that I only bid on on things that have buying high buying intent modifiers. Mm -hmm. Financial software, financial business software, financial business pr software pricing. Yeah. Financial business software vendors. And so most people will bid on financial business or budgeting process. And there's so much mixed intent with that search that a majority of the people that are searching that are not looking to buy something. And so you spend $12 a click and 99% of people had no interest in buying your stuff. And that's where you really lose a lot of money. It's that friction between volume and actual intent that converts, I think, which is always- People, get, people are obsessed with volume across everything. Mm -hmm. Volume, volume means nothing if it doesn't materialize. And the second thing is that even internal employees, but I think that agencies especially fall into this camp where they optimize for the metrics inside of the ad platform, not inside of the CRM. And so you can drive a thousand conversions for $10 in AdWords, depending on what your what the conversion point is and how you're measuring it. Like I've gone into AdWords accounts that are spending $70,000 a month. And the number one conversion point is time on site greater than 30 seconds. And so they are celebrating that they drove people there and the people stayed for 30 seconds and they spent $8 a click to get there and none of the traffic was relevant. And Question so- the, is that the same behavior you see in the bigger com size company as like a scale up startup? Like, do you see that across the board? I think it's more, I don't think it's more on company size. I think it's more on company budget. Like um, there are very few B2B companies that should be spending $8 million a year on AdWords, but I know ones that do. Mm -hmm. I and think like that's, yeah. <laughs> that is a that recipe for wasting a ton of money. From your experience, where's that decision coming from? Is it normally coming from like the marketing leader or is it coming from like the CEO and senior leadership saying, is it like a pressure from the board or is it coming from the marketing leader themselves or a mixture? The, sh the short answer is there's, there's no black and white here. Um, but I will say that I think it's driven down from investors, especially in investors that push product-led growth, that lean on user acquisition in a freemium model, not actually people that become paying customers. I've walked into Google AdWords accounts that are getting 6,000 trial signups 
and very few of them actually become paying users, but they can report back that they're getting 6,000 new users to the board every month and go and raise more money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, moving on to kind of the topic of this whole this whole interview, the ebook. So I think just to kick us off on this, it'd be really interesting just for everyone to hear your yeah your side of the ebook debate, why you are so against them, and then I might pose some questions just from my side and my perspective, and and it will be just interesting to see like where we get to after that. Yeah, so I've my thinking on this has evolved a lot, especially recently, probably since we scheduled this. And the thing that I am against is the intent of the common execution of the ebook, not necessarily the ebook on its own. But if you are building an ebook with the core objective to drive a thousand leads so that you can cold call them, I think that's wrong. I, and I know the business results are not there, especially if you're spending money to drive people to download the ebook, which most people spend $50 a download on LinkedIn and very few of them close and you basically just annoy your potential customers. And so in general, like if you, if you switched up your intent and your measurement of the ebook download, then fine, like put out the ebook. But if you measure it against leads, you do oftentimes you do the wrong things. The second piece that I think is super interesting is how it's prioritized. Mm -hmm. Most companies prioritize it as number one. I think it should be number 31 on the list. And so, so what would you once, put above it? once you are producing, pumping out content every day on LinkedIn, once you have a podcast that has a thousand subscribers, once you have AdWords working well, once you have a paid short form content engine that's running on Facebook and LinkedIn that drive business results, once you have your website 100% optimized, once you have your lead handoff process perfectly set up, there are so many other things that marketers should be doing before they build eBooks because it takes a ton of time. It's hard for people to consume them. It's hard for people to, it's hard for you as a marketer to get someone into an eBook and have them actually read all 10 pages. It's hard. Mm -hmm. I know because I, no one else, I've found very few people that track anything besides the download which is essentially mm -hmm. you've got someone's contact information, but go ahead and track consumption and yeah. go ahead and look at how, how, how many people that download it actually even open it. And then if they open it, how much time they spend reading it. And when you look at that, and if you're spending money to drive them to it, I know on average about 10% of people that download it will actually even open it if, so you do it, is, through, if you do it through paid social. Yeah, so this is really interesting. And actually, I think we're not as far off each other as I thought we might be at the beginning. But I guess, so I'll give you my take. And some of this is, I think it's when you come back to your point about the intent. For me, I don't think the ebook is the issue. It's more about, it's about doing things differently and doing things better. So I couldn't agree more that what I never want to do, especially because my background is really scaled ups and startups, is put my one content writer on this project that's going to take him six months. And I'm not going to see any value from it until the end of that six months. And at that point, we still don't even know if people are interested in the topic. The topic might be no longer, you know, no longer have like have traction. Someone's beaten us to it. I, you know, so many variables that have happened in that time. So the way that I guess I do the e, I still believe the ebook as um, a lead magnet and content generally using content as lead magnets has a lot of there. There is a good use case for it, but I just think the way that you have to go about it is different. So, for example, how we run. Any content magnet that we produce at Cognizant is it starts with our SEO play. So we sit down and make a content plan for the half of the year. We decide on our keyword strategy. We map out all the pillars that sit within that. 
and they essentially make up the chapters of the end result, which will be this big ebook, which we will also host on an SEO page ungated, and we'll be producing the content throughout that six months time, which is giving us building our SEO equity all along the way until we actually end up with the result. And we'll also be producing sort of like infographics that we gate along the way, mini guides that we're gating along the way. So we're not waiting like a whole six months to then have this like huge release of something that's taken all this time of work. So then we get SEO juice, we get consistent stream of leads, and we get at the end of it something big that we can end up changing, chopping and changing into lots of different content, form, content formats, whether it be we we'll create videos off the back of it, research reports, whatever else as well. And it's actually given us, every time I've kind of done the strategy, we have achieved our page one Google ranking for that sort of target keyword. So I think it's, for me, it's a mechanism to tie up lots of different marketing activities that can generate results. But again, we have a dedicated sales role called a marketing development rep, and they are solely responsible, commissioned and on the conversions from uh, marketing content download to sales qualified opportunity. That's, that's what their commission is based on. That's what they're paid on. That's their sole focus and purpose. And we now have like a model which is all backwards worked so that we know how many FPOs we need to get from one MDR if we're going to spend X amount of money to generate them X number of leads in a month. And then we will have a, we have to bring in five deals in that month from, that, from the content to make that RI positive, CPA that we can deal with, all of those things. But it has given us huge predictability in our model. So that's kind of my side of the ebook debate happy to be challenged I mean, that. that's pretty much what everyone does i would much i would much rather have a customer come to me and say i would love to talk to your sales rep than have them download an ebook and have an mdr chase them around and that's just what i would rather do and so i, I focus my marketing efforts on driving it all the way to that point rather than an intermediate point the second piece is that seo versus social like social drives results faster if you do it well and so, so I think that. that you can do, I think that you can do both, but like, I haven't focused on SEO since 2014. And so that's really interesting. Um, I guess, and really, yeah, really interested in that. So from your, your perspective, your time's better spent on the LinkedIn channel or social channels than SEO. I can cover high buying intent keywords with positive ROI through Google AdWords. And so that's what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to crush social, which is going to drive branded and non-branded traffic, which I have covered in Google. And at some point, we might develop an SEO strategy once we are really moving. But I think most companies spend so much time and resources on SEO that they don't do a lot of the other things well. Um, and I just think it's a it's a mindset shift and a prioritization shift for companies. Companies love to run SEO to ebook things like that because they can measure it. And then I, I've talked about this, and I did this. We had an ebook campaign from two and a half years ago, and then that lead finally closes and we can celebrate just because we could measure it. The ebook probably didn't have any any impact, but it was last touch attribution 30 months ago. And so what if instead of gating the ebook, we just pushed it out to everyone in short form content on social, how many more results would that have driven? And so those are those are some of the things that I, I think about. I just, I, I consider SEO a distribution channel just like social or email or anything like that. And mm -hmm. SEO is a reactive channel. Somebody needs to go there and do something first. And I would much prefer to go out and get them and be proactive with the information that I'm trying to deliver, which drives more people into buying decisions. Okay, cool. 
guest. Interesting. So um, I think we're probably going to, I guess we'll, we'll have different perspectives on, on the ebook, great. but um, that is good. I think also, I guess it, also, it does depend. Something else I wanted to talk about as well is it depends on the type of business. I also think what's um, the ICP, how broad is your target audience? what are your growth targets i mean you again you probably might, might disagree with me here but i think those are the key factors in, in deciding on whether gated content and ebooks are, are potentially right for you as a tactic and also i guess the key that we're both agreed on is regardless it's got to be measured and then measured throughout the funnel so it's not just the download that doesn't mean anything one thing that at cognizant our marketing team is actually measured on revenue targets we aren't measured on leads or anything else yeah. So um, I want to get something in here just before I lose yeah. it. So everyone, everyone looks back at something that happened before and celebrates it, not recognizing that since it happened, a lot of things have changed. People love to celebrate that Salesforce became a huge company running 100% cold outbound. However, they built a majority of the company before 2009, right? Like mm -hmm. they were, they had a, a substantial revenue amount that they got to, and that's that's when it happened. People love to celebrate that HubSpot has done so well, but HubSpot built a majority of the company during a period where SEO was the best strategy. Yeah. And, right. uh, and now people are still repeating the Salesforce heavy, cold outbound, predictable revenue play from 2007. And I go in and talk to 30 to 50 CMOs, CROs every month that say, we're not seeing the results. We think that we're going to shrink the size of the SDR team. That's one. And a lot of companies are still romantic about HubSpot's SEO play, but it's been a decade since a lot of that stuff was in its prime. And so in 10 years, people will look back and be like, I wish I did more on LinkedIn, but you can't see it right now. Yeah. So on that, like when someone says that to you and you're in those conversations, what's your, like, what's your push? What, what do you say to get the buy-in to actually be given the go ahead to start doing these types of activities that are different to the norm, to the traditional playbook? but you have obviously passionately believe that and have seen results for refine that. And how are you then reporting that back? Like what are the metrics that you're, you're tracking that can, you can use to kind of, you know, in, well, you can use for your clients or you can use for in the boardroom, they can use to say like, this is why we're doing X and this is what's working and it's better than Y. The metrics that we care about, revenue. Yeah, like the stuff that revenue, keeps it up. Revenue through an inbound sales conversion, a demo request, a contact us, a live chat, that is the key metric. The second one next to that is the customer acquisition cost of those of those conversions. And then backing into that, sales cycle length and win rate through that channel will be substantially better than an outbound channel. And then backing into that, cost per SQO and cost per demo request. And then before that, we use all of the other marketing metrics and we track them and we use it to make marketing decisions. But I'm not reporting on website visits to the board, nor am I reporting it to the people that we work with because I just don't think it's important. 100,000 website visitors mean nothing if all 100,000 are irrelevant. And so mm -hmm. the volume metric on its own doesn't matter. And another thing is that people love to think about conversion rate on a website. Like if you have 10,000 people on your website and you have a 2% conversion rate, that when you go to 100,000 through paid channels, that it's going to be the same. That's just not true. Yeah, you know I, what totally I mean? definitely agree with so that. Like, why is our conversion rate going down? Our traffic's gone up 10x. And it's like, no shit. Like, so we're what paying, do you get? <laughs> well, I get on that one. This is quite interesting one. So recently we had to fill a capacity gap for our outbound team. So CEO comes to us, the marketing team says, right, give you some more budgets. We can't hire fast enough. Go and spend it. So in that perspective, what you're saying, I guess, is 
and he will say like outline the plan the exact like mechanisms the campaigns you know your predicted cost per lead cost per sqo cost per deal on each of those kind of are, are you saying what you would potentially do is say look as long as my top level cac cost per sqo demo requests all of those metrics just talked about are within our kpis and within the remits that we set then then it doesn't really matter the rest of it doesn't matter so much like to, like then i don't need to measure every single activity that is correct okay because That's when you when you strive to to measure things you often do things that are not the best things to do yeah and so the second piece on this is that like we typically get less leads for customers and our cost per lead is higher but the conversion rates through the funnel are so much better that the customer acquisition cost is lower and we're over here at the beginning and they're like oh my god our leads have gone from 2000 per month to 150 and then you actually look at it and you're like yeah but you were converting 0.1% of those 2000 leads and you got two customers and so like the lead volume metric it just comes back to the core thesis like the volume metric on its own means nothing it actually if the volume metric is high and the efficiency is super low it's actually a negative thing because you have resources like mdrs or sdrs or whatever you want to call them spending time on them and then if they do get to an opportunity the opportunity still close at a low rate too so you're wasting your sales team's time and all of those people's time could be better spent running abm programs strategic outbound creating content for linkedin all these different things and instead they're chasing people that do not want to hear from them and so that's just like those are some of the things that i'm seeing i I'm, every company i see makes most companies that i see make that mistake it's interesting though but it's like a massive mindset switch that would need to happen like and be bought into most companies don't want to do it and yeah. and i have the benefit that we have enough people that want to work with us i don't need to convince anyone to do it and then one thing i know that you're quite passionate about as well is like and it's sort of on this point is the whole investing in brand and it's quite an interesting one for me because it's not something i've ever i have at cognizant been able to really do because we are so probably the way that you don't want to work but we're very like everything you know every metric is, is is tracked and everything is is sort of like we have to have this predictable model and so for lots of reasons we, we are set up how we are but i know for you you're, you sort of say brand marketing is any demand marketing execution that's not measured on direct attribution roi i think i lifted that from one of your linkedin posts but yes yeah, so i just i would love for you to just talk a bit more about that like from how do you go about brand yeah it's super interesting so the first thing is let's define that brand does not equal branding. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of companies that have, you know, their colors don't look right to some people and their logo sucks mm -hmm. and they still have a good brand. And brand also doesn't have to just be in product experience once they become a customer. And so those are two like misconceptions that I see a lot with companies. Now, when you think about brand, the idea is that you don't need a direct attributable ROI to everything that you're doing. And that's it. And so putting out content on LinkedIn, even this one is interesting. When companies run trade shows and chalk it up as a brand execution and then measure it with the core KPI of leads, yeah, not a brand execution, that's a performance execution. And yeah. so it doesn't make sense. And so, yeah, that's uh, happy to answer any more questions, but like this is, I could go on forever on this one. Okay, and then so one other thing, I think I heard you on a podcast, I can't remember exactly the one right now, but it was about lead scoring. So I'm really interested in talking to people about lead scoring because it's something I've actually never successfully implemented in any business. Like I'm happy to say that. Hopefully James, my CEO is not listening and they're not gonna take that against me, but 
I think we tried it at Thomson Reuters, massive corporate, and it, took, it was like a two-year project, never got off the ground. Imagine the amount of resource and energy that went into that. We sort of played around with it in my last startup, but again, never really did much with it. We're building some sort of model now in our new Salesforce instance at, Cog instance at Cognizant, which will be interesting to see, very basic. And I'm just always interested to ask mark other marketers, have they done it? Have they had success? If so, how have they implemented it? And what ways, yeah, have they seen that success come about? Why don't you think it worked? Because I think it's just very difficult to do. There's no, I don't think, there's, there's not the technology. Number one, I wouldn't say, I haven't seen a technology that does this really well. Obviously, that's built into HubSpot, built into Pardot, built into some of these marketing automation tools and systems. But essentially what I think happens, and has always happened, is the project gets bogged down in the details of exactly defining that lead score, the ideal fit, what would get passed to sales. And then you start passing stuff to sales and then they, it probably doesn't, well, it doesn't often end up matching up to that lead score that you thought you had it's because this is a magical made-up thing from martech vendors like we can if we send someone three emails they're magically going to want to talk to our sales rep mm. and that's what it is when you think about lead scoring the only thing that i care about is that they're firmographically in the icp and that they have demonstrated clear buying intent to ask to talk to a sales rep that is the only lead score you need it's binary and so yeah. The idea but, that because they downloaded one piece of content, they get 10 points is something that marketers feel good about. It allows them to change the score of the MQL so they can report more back to the company, even though it doesn't, it actually does more detriment to sales when you drive more MQLs on lower scores. And lastly, it is often, and like you said, it is a complete waste of time for most companies. They are building, they're spending two years building a lead scoring model and they can't produce good content for LinkedIn. They can't put out a podcast. They never talk to customers. They spend so much time in the tech trying to figure out attribution and targeting and lead scoring and automated nurtures and how we're going to get 0.1% more click-throughs on this email. And they never do any actual marketing. I see it a lot. I see it from my customers. So on that, actually, it's quite interesting. What is one thing you'd tell like a B2B marketer to start doing tomorrow that they probably aren't doing today, but ideally this is something that's low effort, high reward. So I'm a marketer listening to this and I can literally like listen to what you say. I can go and do it tomorrow and I'm hopefully going to see some positive gains from that. Reach out and have 15 to 30 minute conversations with five people that are not your customers, but fit your ICP and five people that are your customers that are in the ICP and call 10 inbound leads and figure out how it feels. That's it. You could do all of that in one day and you will be a better marketer because of it. You will be able to understand the difference between how your customers that use your product feel versus the ones that don't. What are the differences? What do they think about your competitors? What do they think about your category? There'll be different opinions. And then you have to figure out how you get your prospects from where they are to where they are. And often it's not a sales conversation, it's marketing execution. And then when you call the 10 inbound leads that hit your lead score, that's 80 and means nothing. And you realize that none of them want to talk to you. Maybe you'll have a, lot, a little bit more empathy before you send them to your SDRs. That's really interesting. We um, ran a cold calling day. Oh, I think it was the end of last year now. And I made our marketing team and me do the cold calling. We were calling our content leads and just a really good exercise to do. So, put yourselves in those shoes as well. And like mm -hmm. you said, potentially see the quality of the leads that you're delivering into the sales team as well. 
and the light bulb went off for me in 2016 when I called 10 ebook downloads and then I called 10 demo requests. And what I decided is that I only want to send my sales team people that requested a demo. And so, so now, and now I shift my marketing executions to drive to that conversion point. And if it creates discipline as a marketer that I need to get someone all the way through, mm-hmm. not to an intermediate conversion point where I can pretend like I did my job and pass them to sales. And that is a very different way of looking at it than most people do. So, so here's a question for you then. If, if you're a salesperson, would you rather do cold outbound or would you rather talk to someone who's shown some interest, some hand raised, or there's some point of a, a conversation opener? So say if you're, you're not going to change the world all at once, right? So we're not going to stop our business doing outbound tomorrow. But mm-hmm. you, you know, as a salesperson, would you rather just go cold outbound? Would you rather have some form of, of topic opener or reason to talk? I don't think that someone that visited your website and didn't ask to talk to you or downloaded an ebook and didn't ask to talk to you is a reason to talk to someone. I don't. Do you think um, it depends on the pitch, though, then? If you were... You know, if you're actually just asking for feedback on the content. So this is a this is a super interesting point when you look at how companies are organizationally structured, is that they have so many people and not enough demand created through marketing that they have to do things like this. Hmm. And so if they were able to, and this is a long process, three months to probably 24 months, depending on the size of the company and what's going on. Like if you have 75 inbound SDRs, it's going to be pretty hard to shift this. If you have mm-hmm. three, it's a lot easier to, which is why I tend to focus on companies less than hundred million because they can actually implement the model without so much bureaucracy and time wasted. And so over time, you need to be able to have your marketing team driving more actual sales demand, not mid funnel content downloads. And so that process takes some time depending on your sales cycle, I would say three to six months is a place where you have meaningful impact on that through a lot of the marketing executions that are well published on my LinkedIn and the podcast. And then once you have that demand, you can start passing those leads because they actually ask to talk to your account executive directly to your account executive. And they're converting to opportunities at somewhere between 50 and 75%. And so it's not a waste of their time to follow up with this lead and have a 10 minute first call and schedule a discovery and a high level demo. And that's the first thing that you do. And then after you see that happen and you see the conversion rates that those ones convert to customers at 10% instead of 0.1% that your SDRs are chasing, then you start realizing that maybe your SDR should be doing something else. And then you have two choices. You Most often you shrink the size of the SDR team or you start using them for very strategic high value outbound depending on your your ACV. And so yeah, those are I think that's yeah. a good point. Like, so I know you mentioned ABM and we could, we could come on to that, but I guess ABM is only... Um, a good strategy if you have got a certain you, you know you're going after a certain target level of accounts like if you if your if your average contract size you know make warrants that approach basically um so it's not for, for sure a lot of companies that don't have a acv that justifies abm are still doing abm they call it abm it's actually just demand gen company firmographic targeting is just defining your icp and doing marketing but they call it abm so I'm interested to hit, this is also quite interesting. What what would you, because I always have this debate as well. I don't, I haven't seen anyone actually do ABM properly. I don't think, I don't think I've ever had someone do it to me properly, ABM. So what for you is ABM proper? A bit like lead scoring for me, it's this phenomenon that I don't think I've ever actually seen in practice. I've talked about this a lot, but I'll kind of like reiterate is that most companies are not doing, they're doing account-based sales and they're calling it account-based marketing. Mm. And that's 
that's it. Like their marketing team is running performance downloads so that they can do sales. They are so not what, doing. What you say ABM looks like. Like what yeah, is exactly. it? Like what? exactly. So uh, let's pretend that I want to that I want the HubSpot CMO to work with us. Yeah. And this is a true. This is this happened last night. And somebody asked me a question that says, what about, what do you think, break down HubSpot's marketing strategy? And I talk for eight minutes about the the things that they are missing, that they are very doing very well in SEO, but they're missing a lot of opportunities that we talked about earlier in this thing. And I have that, and it's in an eight-minute podcast, and I know a ton of people at HubSpot follow my podcast, and I'm going to rip that up and publish it on LinkedIn. And if I wanted to, I could use targeting to target people at HubSpot with that piece of content, but that is a content-driven aka marketing education focused marketing execution and so i think that's the real the real difference is that most companies are not are only driving to a sales meeting like i don't care if the cmo comes inbound to me tomorrow but a lot of people that are doing abm want that result tomorrow i think that's the difference it's mm-hmm. interesting okay cool one thing i want to ask everyone who comes on this this series with me is is about their their tech stack so i think it's quite interesting I always find it really interesting as a marketer to understand what other people's tech stack looks like. So what does yours look like? And what do you recommend for your clients as well? Like, is it very expensive, super high tech, or actually are you, you know, are you succeeding with, you know, X tools that you just couldn't live without? And is there one tool specifically that you couldn't live without? We don't need a lot of tech to do the marketing that we do. A lot of our customers think that they need a lot of stuff and they spend a lot of money on things and a lot of resources building and maintaining those tools that don't have a ton of impact and don't drive a ton of value. And that's okay. The $75 million SaaS organization is going to need an attribution tool. I don't need it because I know, I understand how buyers buy and I can put, I can piece pieces of data together and, and make an informed decision about what's happening. And so if I was going to recommend, I think, I think Salesforce plus HubSpot is the right, is the, is the right stack for most companies. A lot of people, when you get to a certain value, will use Marketo. You decide, but you're going to spend a lot of money on that one. I just don't, I don't think the value is worth the overhead anymore between those two tools. And besides that, like the things that we're using, proposal software, Zoom, Adobe Creative Suite, LinkedIn free, podcast free, YouTube free email occasionally to deliver information, not drive leads free. So I just don't think that you, this microphone, 300 bucks, this webcam, $150. I just don't think that you need a lot of stuff to actually drive results. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I am always a kind of a big believer as well and not over teching and that's a lot of it just ends up taking time to and talking making it talk to each other and if you have too many different systems then you don't have a fully rounded um yeah marketing automation what well, well, marketing it, yeah life cycle it's it's yeah. really hard to make a informed decision about what's happening in your marketing if you spend all your time in google analytics or in visible if you never talk to a customer if you don't understand the marketing strategy and the communication execution, if you don't understand how people actually go through a buying process, if you don't understand who's involved, and a lot of people, I'm not, I'm not talking down on marketing ops, but a lot of people in marketing ops do fit into that camp. They don't talk to customers, they don't create content, they don't understand how people buy, and they look just at the data, and the data doesn't get everything. It actually, I think, make, in, drives you to make the wrong decisions. Yeah, and I think that's interesting in itself. You can overanalyze and also be tied to the numbers. So I know one question we've had actually come in 
is how do you tackle revenue attribution between sales and marketing when you run an ABM program? Or even just how do you tackle the problem of attribution? And this is something, again, I've had battles with across my full, all of my career in because we're so determined to understand the attribution of a deal so that we can then replicate that over and over again for predictability that we stop and present, prevent ourselves from doing certain activities. I'm, I'm not sure I I'm not sure I have much to add on that. Like yeah. the the idea of attribution and the way that it's used in most companies is just not smart. Like the idea that you want to measure every single touch point and try and map it back to the ideal journey and celebrate like you can go ahead and do that. It just doesn't it just doesn't necessarily work. And now when you get to a small TAM, like let's pretend you only have a thousand accounts you can sell to, sales is going to be probably attacking all pretty much all of them at once or 250 per month or whatever you whatever you want to break it up. So at that point, you need to just make a decision that you do not care about attribution. Yeah. Like that's that's what I would do. You own a revenue number and the KPIs have to be in place. And as long as you're hitting those, it's fine. Is that kind of how you'd see it? I can say this, we do for Refine Labs, 100% brand marketing, zero performance, zero outbound, zero sales, zero outbound sales. We obviously sell stuff and the attribution that shows up in HubSpot for every single deal that we close is wrong. So that's it's really interesting right. and that would make most people. Um, and so I know it because, you know, the volume is relatively low and we don't have a ton of people and we're not doing a ton of things. And so it's very easy to tell. And I could tell when I worked at the $30 million company what was happening too. But when you get to a company that's $50 million and they have a bunch of shit going on, they don't see it that way. And they end up doing the wrong things. Like if we, I'll give you an easy example. We start, we go from zero to running 50K a month in Facebook ads, targeted at the right buyers with the right conversion points and the right information, not direct response, not conversion-based. And over the next 45 days, demo inbound demo requests double. And when you look at that in Marketo or HubSpot, it's going to tell you that organic search is driving that activity. And what are you going to do? You're going to say, oh, let's take that $50,000 and let's go hire seven freelance writers and do SEO. And it is the wrong, it's completely the wrong decision. Um, and so that's just an example. There are plenty like HubSpot tells me that organic search drives all our business. The podcast and LinkedIn drives 100% of our business. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting point. I guess my, I guess my thing, my difficulty with all of this is like I will be asked for X number of uh, metrics that have to be reported on, but to by me to the board for them to mm -hmm. make decisions on X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. And those are channel breakdowns of spend, of attribution, and that at the end of the day is like what I measured on and my and what my mm -hmm. success looks like. So it's a change management, I guess, a big one. And oftentimes the, the change will be going to a different company that understands what they're doing. And so like I've, I just from pure experience know that this is not going, it's just not going to change at companies. It's not going to change at the in, investor level, the board level, the executive level, unless they already believe in it. And so if you're a marketer, do you want to waste three years of your career trying to convince a CEO that you don't need channel attribution for LinkedIn organic content marketing? Or do you want to go somewhere that supports it so you can actually innovate? And that's the that's the black and white decision that I think a lot of people that are either listening to this live or listening to it as a podcast later 
should think about because I went through that process. I spent 18 months trying when it was working so well, trying to convince an executive team that the last company they built was in 1999. They did it through 100% outbound sales, that it was different. And the customer acquisition costs on this execution was way, way lower. And the scalability of it was way, way higher. And it was more buyer centric, but they go. And instead of taking the, the extra $5 million in funding, and put some of it to marketing, they go and make a huge sales expansion and continue to drive higher and higher, uh, lower and lower efficiency. And so I just like have decided that if you're a marketer and you are in, you are looking for a new change, or if you get stuck justifying your activities and you believe in brand because brand drives the most demand, this is, this is 100% clear to me at least, brand drives demand. And so if you get stuck on channel attribution, it's going to be hard to do a brand marketing execution because you're going to have to, you're going to have to figure out a way to make people jump through hoops so that you can measure it. So you can report back to someone. And when you make people jump through hoops, they don't actually do what the things that you want them to do. Yeah, this is really interesting. I mean, it's interesting for me as well, because I'm one of those people who's measures everything and that's just been my way and that's how I've kind of been able to grow companies before. So it's interesting. It's to measure, me. measure everything that makes sense to measure right? Like I measure the things, all the things that I can without getting in the way of what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. And so if I'm trying to accomplish that, I want somebody to listen or I want somebody to download the ebook, we'll do it this way. <laughs> then what most people will do is they will put a form up for it, which 70% of the people that click there will not fill it out. And so you just lost 70% of the potential audience that got on the page, but they didn't fill out the form. And then even then they have to get to the landing page. You have to get them in somehow. And so how do we remove friction from what we're actually trying to accomplish, which at its core is I want to communicate with someone. Yeah. And have confidence. I think another point, then I'm sorry, we will end up wrapping up. I know I've taken yeah, more yeah. of your time than I would, but have confidence in what you're producing and write stuff that's genuinely going to be interesting to your audience. Like I think a lot of um, people can get tied up in like, just get loads and loads of gated content out and it's not actually quality. And the other way around, you know you've got amazing quality content, but you can't get people to read it. So two quite, yeah. you know, the, the focus has to be on the quality. And then it's about, like you say, maybe thinking differently about how you get people to- We, we talked that. about this last night, Gatano Donardi shared an interesting thought. It's like the success metric of an ebook should be how many people talk to your sales reps about how good it was, or you should put a comment section in the ebook so people can point their points of view on it. But nobody actually looks at the the value that was delivered to the audience, which is the whole point. I know that my podcast works because CMOs tell me. Yeah. I know that my LinkedIn content works because CROs tag their marketing leader and say, we should try this. And that's enough for me. But nobody actually looks at the engagement metrics of content. They just look at the number. Um, and I think it is just, it's very misaligned between company and buyer. The company's focused on the metrics and doesn't focus on does it actually make a difference to our buyer? Yeah. And the what the last thing I'm gonna actually say as well, just quickly on this whole topic is around ebooks and things. You can do it differently. There is an amazing software called Turtle. They are they actually talk about killing the PDF. So the whole idea is you don't have to gate up front, you could actually start gating halfway through. You could actually not gate at all, gate at the end, but it's all online. You can you can actually track the read rates, track <coughs> How engaged people are with that piece of content and have videos embedded in it as well it doesn't have to be a boring plain pdf and i think that should the do that future. that's the future probably for this as well you should do that i think what if you actually spend the time to do that i think what it'll tell you is that you shouldn't do it anymore 
I think that's yeah. what that tool will do. It'll prove that that type of execution for most companies doesn't make sense. But we'll find out. But um, yeah, it just comes back. People haven't measured it to that level at this point, so they they don't un they don't know. And they're maybe afraid to as well, because you know we're all afraid of. <laughs> So, yeah. I think, anyway. yeah, most people should be, yeah, most people should be afraid, but it's actually a gift. Like for the people listening here that hate building an ebook every quarter and running ads to it and having SDRs cold call them and not being aligned with how customers buy, you should measure it because then you can go back to your executive team and say, look, this is what's actually happening. Here's what's actually happening. We're download, we're running the ebook. They're becoming customers at 0.1%. Our customer acquisition cost is six times higher than our lifetime value on this execution. People that are looking at the book aren't even reading it. Why are we spending so much time on this? And you can just present black and white data about what's happening right now, which then will create the space for you to maybe do something different. Yeah, also go with a solution, not a problem. That's the other thing I would say. I don't want to hear it's not working and I don't have another solution. So just another tip from me. Yeah, there are, pl there are plenty of things that would be a better use of time and money than that. Yeah. So it's interesting and I really appreciate your time, Chris. And I think we're probably going to end up still being a little bit divided on the ebook, but I think there's a lot of That's interesting cool. insights that you've given and given me food for thought as well. And I know my team are listening, so I'm prepared for a backlash after this. But I think three takeaways from me have been that LinkedIn over SEO probably um, is something that you, you believe in and something people should maybe think about. The ebook is dead for Chris, I'd say and brand drives the most demand. So there we go, three key takeaways. And if you're gonna do one thing tomorrow that you haven't done, go and talk to five, five customers, five, you know, five people who are relevant to what you guys are doing and take that insight and put it into your marketing. And that's really I easy. Want, I wanna challenge you to do something as well. So I don't know how many episodes you were going to do in this series. Yep, challenge but away. What I, but what I want you to do is I want you to take these different things. I want you to put them on a podcast. If you don't already, I want you to rip them, rip up the videos and publish them on LinkedIn. And I want you to do that for somewhere between three and six months. And we can come back and debate whether that is a more effective use of time than building eBooks and SEO. It'd be just interesting. Maybe it doesn't work. I don't know, but I want to, if you yeah. have the energy and motivation to try it, I actually do think that you would get far better results. Okay, cool. So I'll see you in six months' time, Chris. <laughs> <I> <laughs> I'm hope up so. for it. All right. Well, I really yeah. appreciate you taking the time. And um, for everyone listening as well, there's going to be another, we've already planned another four episodes after this one and more to come. So things like why growth hacking, hacking is actually BS and what you should actually be doing. And then actual real life agile marketing, stock gating content. So that's actually from Turtles. That was the platform I was talking about earlier. We're going to have their head of marketing, Carla, on to talk about that. And actually then Tom Bangay, who is, he, he's sort of one of, someone I trained under at Juro, and he's going to be talking about how the other side to this coin, that, you know, of this interview with Chris, is content marketing. Don't fix what isn't broken, just do it better. So all of that's still to come. Definitely check out the Fine Labs and all Chris's amazing content because it really has been giving me a lot to think about and I'm constantly sending it to my team. So really appreciate the time, Chris, and for everyone else, thanks for listening. Thanks, Alice. See you, everyone. Bye.